The resurrection of Jesus is at the heart of the Christian Gospel. The Gospel is literally the announcement of breaking news. It could be good or bad, depending on what it is and where we stand in relation to the one giving the news. For example, the recent revelation that the Australian cricket team were cheating was a gospel of sorts because it means that things will never be the same again for cricket and some people's lives have been irreversibly changed for bad. But the Christian gospel is the best news ever because it is the news that Jesus Christ who was crucified in weakness and humiliation is now alive again. And because he's alive, he freely offers forgiveness and hope to anyone who comes to him by faith. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, said, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Initially, the news of Jesus being alive was bad news for the people listening to this message because it was they who had crucified him. What turned it into good news was that this same Jesus whom they had crucified is now offering grace and forgiveness to the very people who wanted him dead. These were, you could say, the most unlikely of converts, those who once were Jesus' enemies, now being made his friends, all because Jesus had risen from the dead. In our reading this morning, we heard of another unlikely convert. It's maybe the last person who, in many people's eyes, should have been the first person to see Jesus alive, Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is a woman around whom there's much folklore. A movie in the cinemas at the moment claims to tell the untold story of Mary and her relationship to Jesus. Some have speculated with no evidence that Jesus and Mary were married. Others think that she was an immoral woman, maybe a prostitute, based on trying to guess the identity of the woman who was caught in adultery and saved by Jesus, and the immoral woman who poured perfume on Jesus' feet, so grateful she was for Jesus' forgiveness of her. However, all we know about Mary Magdalene, apart from the fact that she was there at the events of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, is that Jesus had set her free from seven demons and that she, with several other women, followed Jesus along with a core group of twelve disciples helping to provide their needs. 
as Luke says in chapter 8. Soon afterwards, uh, Jesus went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. If you ever hear that women are considered as second class in the Bible, remember this fact. Mary Magdalene was among the first disciples. And the news of Jesus' resurrection was first entrusted to her and the other women. In in a culture where the testimony of women was not considered valid, Jesus is bestowing great dignity, not just on Mary, but on all women. We see a significance for Mary also in that once she had alerted Peter and John, as John describes himself here as the disciple whom Jesus loved, both Peter and John ran to the tomb, went inside, saw the grave clothes. John believed that Jesus was risen but had no idea what it meant. But then they both left without seeing Jesus. It seems that Jesus waited until they had left before the angels appeared and then he made himself known to Mary and as we see in the other Gospels, the other women. And so Mary Magdalene becomes the very first evangelist as she rushes back to the disciples and declares, I have seen the Lord. So what is it that the two disciples, Peter and John, had not yet understood from the scripture about Jesus' resurrection? And I think there's a hint in Jesus' words to Mary. I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. In John's Gospel, we see and hear Jesus speak a lot about his relationship with God, his Father. He is presented to us as the Father's only Son, meaning that he is in a unique relationship with the Father. He is the only one who is the Son of God by nature, what the Bible calls in old-fashioned English, begotten. The opening verse of John's Gospel speaks of him as the Word. He was there in the beginning, both with God and God. The words we use today to describe that is that he is the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, who along with the Father and the Holy Spirit is the one true God. But then John goes on to say something remarkable. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right 
to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's through this Jesus, the Son, that people are brought into a relationship with God as children, to be brought to a place where they, along with Jesus, can call God Father. The message the risen Jesus sends to his disciples through Mary is that this has now become a reality because of his resurrection. My Father and your Father. My God and your God. He's not only my Father, but your Father also. He's not only my God, but your God also. The resurrection of Jesus means that human beings like you and I and Mary and Peter and John can participate in the same relationship with the Father that Jesus has. Not to become God, but as adopted children, we share in the same love, welcome and blessing that Jesus knows. Is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. The great hope of Christians, as it was with the Jews before Jesus, is not that when we die we go to heaven. What happens to a person immediately after they die is just an interim thing. No, the hope of Christians goes, that goes beyond the grave is the hope of the resurrection of the body. One day we will be living in a renewed creation, in renewed bodies that are no longer subject to sin and weakness and death. And in these renewed bodies we will know a fellowship with the Father that far surpasses any kind of intimacy we can know in this life. An intimacy where he himself will wipe away the tears from our eyes. This hope is expressed like this in the Old Testament. I know that my Redeemer lives and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, Yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another, from Job 19. 
And it's expressed like this in the New Testament. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable perishable body must put on the imperishable. And the mortal and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Sin brings death, death of the soul, which is banishment from the goodness of God's presence. It is this that is the real death, and of which the death of the body, physical death, is an outward sign. When the first humans sinned, the curse came upon the physical world, including our bodies. They died spiritually, and as a result, they died physically. Jesus' resurrection deals with both the death of the soul and the death of the body. His resurrection tells us that the cross has done its job. All our sin and shame has been borne by Jesus and the wrath of God is complete and finished. To show this, the Father raised him from death, breaking the chains of sin and death and declaring his pleasure in him by making him King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The risen Jesus invites and welcomes into his family to sit with him, invites us into his family to sit with him by the Father's side. But because the real death, the death of the soul, has been destroyed, it paves the way for physical death to also be destroyed. His resurrection is stage one of God's plan to renew the physical world, including our bodies. Jesus being alive in his body shows us that there is hope too for these bodies of ours, even if we feel they are too old and frail and droopy and falling apart. This is why the Gospel of Jesus is such good news. It's good news in every way. For today, because we know the comfort and assurance that the Father accepts us now because of Jesus. And for tomorrow and into the future, because we know the grave is not the end. Anyone whose faith is in the risen Jesus has a hope that lasts forever. Let's pray.